Chapter Four of the Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jason Mills. The Two Faces. Of the remainder of that night, I have but a confused memory. At times we heard the door shaken behind the great chests, but no harm came to it. And odd whiles there was a soft thudding and rubbing upon the decks over our heads, and once, as I recollect, the thing made a final try at the teak covers across the windows. But the day came at last, and found me sleeping. Indeed, we had slept beyond the noon, but that the boatswain, mindful of our needs, waked us, and we removed the chests. Yet, for perhaps the space of a minute, none durst open the door, until the boatswain bid us stand to one side. We faced about at him then, and saw that he held a great cutlass in his right hand. He called to us that there were four more of the weapons, and made a backward motion with his left hand towards an open locker. At that, as might be supposed, we made some haste to the place to which he pointed, and found that, among some other gear, there were three more weapons such as he held. But the fourth was a straight cut and thrust, and this I had the good fortune to secure. Being now armed, we ran to join the boatswain, for by this he had the door open, and was scanning the main cabin. I would remark here how a good weapon doth seem to put heart into a man, for I, who but a few short hours since had feared for my life, was now right full of lustiness and fight, which mayhap was no matter for regret. From the main cabin the boatswain led up onto the deck, and I remember some surprise at finding the lid of the scuttle even as we had left it the previous night. But then I recollected that the skylight was broken, and there was access to the big cabin that way. Yet I questioned within myself as to what manner of thing it could be which ignored the convenience of the scuttle and descended by way of the broken skylight. We made a search of the decks and forecastle, but found nothing, and after that the boatswain stationed two of us on guard, while the rest went about such duties as were needful. In a little we came to breakfast, and after that we prepared to test the story upon the sample wrappers, and see perchance whether there was indeed a spring of fresh water among the trees. Now, between the vessel and the trees lay a slope of the thick mud against which the vessel rested, to have scrambled up this bank had been next to impossible, by reason of its fat richness, for indeed it looked fit to crawl, but that Josh called out to the boatswain that he had come up on a ladder, lashed across the foxhole head. This was brought, also several hatch covers. The latter were placed first upon the mud, and the ladder laid upon them, by which means we were enabled to pass up to the top of the bank without contact with the mud. Here we entered at once among the trees, for they grew right up to the edge but we had no trouble in making a way, for they were nowhere close together, but standing rather, each one in a little open space by itself. We had gone a little way among the trees, when, suddenly, one who was with us cried out that he could see something away on our right, and we clutched every one his weapon the more determinedly, and went towards it. Yet it proved to be but a seaman's chest, and a space further off we discovered another, and so, after a little walking, we found the camp, but there was small semblance of a camp about it, for the sail of which the tent had been formed was all torn and stained, and lay muddy upon the ground. Yet the spring was all we had wished, clear and sweet, and so we knew we might dream of deliverance. Now, upon our discovery of the spring, it might be thought that we should set up a shout to those upon the vessel, but this was not so, for there was something in the air of that place which cast a gloom upon our spirits, and we had no disinclination to return unto the vessel. Upon coming to the brig, the boatswain called to four of the men to go down into the boats, and pass up the breakers. Also, he collected all the buckets belonging to the brig, 
and forthwith each of us was set to our work. Some, those with the weapons, entered into the wood, and gave down the water to those stationed upon the bank, and these in turn passed it to those in the vessel. To the man in the galley, the boatswain gave command to fill a boiler with some of the most select pieces of the pork and beef from the casks, and get them cooked so soon as might be, and so we were kept at it. For it had been determined, now that we had come upon water, that we should stay not an hour longer in that monster-ridden craft, and we were all agog to get the boats revictualled and put back to the sea, from which we had too gladly escaped. So we worked through all that remainder of the morning, and right on into the afternoon, for we were in mortal fear of the coming dark. Towards four o'clock, the boatswain sent the man, who had been set to do our cooking, up to us with slices of salt meat upon biscuits, and we ate as we worked, washing our throats with water from the spring, and so, before the evening, we had filled our breakers, and near every vessel which was convenient for us to take in the boats. More, some of us snatched the chance to wash our bodies, for we were sore with brine, having dipped in the sea to keep down thirst as much as might be. Now, though it had not taken us so great a while to make a finish of our water-carrying, if matters had been more convenient, yet because of the softness of the ground under our feet, and the care with which we had to pick our steps, and some little distance between us and the brig, it had grown later than we desired, before we had made an end. Therefore, when the boatswain sent word that we should come aboard, and bring our gear, we made all haste. Thus, as it chanced, I found that I had left my sword beside the spring, having placed it there to have two hands for the carrying of one of the breakers. At my remarking my loss, George, who stood near, cried out that he would run for it, and was gone in a moment, being greatly curious to see the spring. Now at this moment the boatswain came up, and called for George, but I informed him that he had run to the spring to bring me my sword. At this the boatswain stamped his foot and swore a great oath, declaring that he had kept the lad by him all the day, having a wish to keep him from any danger which the wood might hold, and knowing the lad's desire to adventure there. At this, a matter which I should have known, I reproached myself for so gross a piece of stupidity, and hastened after the boatswain, who had disappeared over the top of the bank. I saw his back as he passed into the wood, and ran until I was up with him, for suddenly, as it were, I found that a sense of chilly dampness had come among the trees, though a while before the place had been full of the warmth of the sun. This I put to the account of evening, which was drawing on apace, and also it must be borne in mind that there were but the two of us. We came to the spring, but George was not to be seen, and I saw no sign of my sword. At this the boatswain raised his voice, and cried out the lad's name. Once he called, and again. Then at the second shout we heard the boy's shrill halloo from some distance among the trees. At that we ran towards the sound, plunging heavily across the ground, which was everywhere covered with a thick scum that clogged the feet in walking. As we ran, we hallooed, and so came upon the boy, and I saw that he had my sword. The boatswain ran towards him, and caught him by the arm, speaking with anger, and commanding him to return with us immediately to the vessel but the lad, for reply, pointed with my sword, and we saw that he pointed at what appeared to be a bird up against the trunk of one of the trees. This, as I moved closer, I perceived to be a part of the tree, and no bird, but it had a very wondrous likeness to a bird, so much so that I went up to it, to see if my eyes had deceived me. Yet it seemed no more than a freak of nature, though most wondrous in its fidelity, being but an excrescence upon the trunk. With the sudden thought that it would make me a curio, I reached up to see whether I could break it away from the tree, but it was above my reach, so that I had to leave it. Yet one thing I discovered, 
for in stretching towards the protuberance I had placed a hand upon the tree, and its trunk was soft as pulp under my fingers, which after the fashion of a mushroom. As we turned to go, the boatswain inquired of George his reason for going beyond the spring, and George told him that he had seemed to hear someone calling to him among the trees, and there had been so much pain in the voice that he had run towards it, but been unable to discover the owner. Immediately afterwards he had seen the curious bird-like excrescence upon a tree nearby. Then we had called, and of the rest we had knowledge. We had come nigh to the spring on our return journey, when a sudden low whine seemed to run among the trees. I glanced towards the sky, and realised that evening was upon us. I was about to remark upon this to the boatswain, when, abruptly, he came to a stand, and bent forward to stare into the shadows to our right. At that, George and I turned ourselves about to perceive what matter it was which had attracted the attention of the boatswain. Thus we made out a tree some twenty yards away, which had all its branches wrapped about its trunk, much as the lash of a whip is wound about its stock. Now this seemed to us a very strange sight, and we made all of us toward it, to learn the reason of so extraordinary a happening. Yet when we had come close upon it, we had no means of arriving at a knowledge of that which it pretended, but walked each of us around the tree, and were more astonished after our circumnavigation of the great vegetable than before. Now, suddenly, and in the distance, I caught the far wailing that came before the night, and abruptly, as it seemed to me, the tree wailed at us. At that I was vastly astonished and frightened, yet, though I retreated, I could not withdraw my gaze from the tree, but scanned it the more intently, and suddenly I saw a brown human face peering at us from between the wrapped branches. At this I stood very still, being seized with that fear which renders one shortly incapable of movement. Then, before I had possession of myself, I saw that it was of a part with the trunk of the tree, for I could not tell where it ended and the tree began. Then I caught the boatswain by the arm and pointed, for whether it was a part of the tree or not, it was a work of the devil. But the boatswain, on seeing it, ran straightway so close to the tree that he might have touched it with his hand, and I found myself beside him. Now George, who was on the boatswain's other side, whispered that there was another face, not unlike to a woman's, and indeed, so soon as I perceived it, I saw that the tree had a second excrescence, most strangely after the face of a woman. Then the boatswain cried out with an oath at the strangeness of the thing, and I felt the arm which I held shake somewhat, as it might be with a deep emotion. Then, far away, I heard again the sound of the wailing, and immediately, from among the trees about us, there came answering wails, and a great sighing, and before I had time to be more than aware of these things, the tree wailed again at us, and at that the boatswain cried out suddenly that he knew, though of what it was that he knew I had at that time no knowledge, and immediately he began with his cutlass to strike at the tree before us, and to cry upon God to blast it, and lo, at his smiting a very fearsome thing happened, for the tree did bleed like any live creature. Thereafter a great yowling came from it, and it began to writhe, and suddenly I became aware that all about us the trees were a-quiver. Then George cried out, and ran round upon my side of the boatswain, and I saw that one of the great cabbage-like things pursued him upon its stem, even as an evil serpent, and very dreadful it was, for it had become blood-red in colour. But I smote it with the sword, which I had taken from the lad, and it fell to the ground. Now from the brig I heard them hallooing, and the trees had become like live things, 
and there was a vast growling in the air, and hideous trumpetings. Then I caught the boatswain again by the arm, and shouted to him that we must run for our lives, and this we did, smiting with our swords as we ran, for there came things at us, out from the growing dusk. Thus we made the brigs, and the boats being ready, I scrambled after the boatswain into his, and we put straightway into the creek, all of us, pulling with so much haste as our lords would allow. As we went, I looked back at the brig, and it seemed to me that a multitude of things hung over the bank above her, and there seemed a flicker of things moving hither and thither aboard of her. And then we were in the great creek up which we had come, and so, in a little, it was night. All that night we rowed, keeping very strictly to the centre of the big creek, and all about us bellowed the vast growling, being more fearsome than ever I had heard it, until it seemed to me that we had waked all that land of terror to a knowledge of our presence. But when the morning came, so good a speed had we made, what with our fear, and the current being with us, that we were nigh upon the open sea, whereat each one of us raised a shout, feeling like freed prisoners. And so, full of thankfulness to the Almighty, we rode outward to the sea. End of chapter 4